Hello, and welcome to the Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Jarrett, and I love movies. Today, I will be talking about the oldest movie that I've done so far, and this one is a doozy. I will be talking about The Truman Show. Here's what I remember. Uh, The movie was released in 1998 and is pretty critically acclaimed. It is currently sitting at a whopping 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. It stars Jim Carrey, Ed Harris, Laura Linney, and many others. It was a hit when it came out, and I would imagine it would still be just as good. An early movie, movie depicting something of a simulation theory, I remember this movie making a lot of people think... It was certainly a unique concept that was executed really well. Jim Carrey, while comedic at times, proves he has a lot of drama chops. I remember this movie being the original movie that got me excited to see comedic actors in serious roles. Adam Sandler is an amazing example of this. Jim Carrey will do drama again in The Man in the Moon from 1999, The Majestic from 2001, and one of my favorites, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind from 2004. It's no surprise, but Jim Carrey can act. And his antagonist, if you will, Ed Harris, is also very good. He plays the creator of the show. He's often standing in front of a massive screen that has um, the, the main shots that are in the show. The screen is outlined in red, which makes it really ominous. I remember that he cares for Truman, but also has a job to do. It's very complex and nuanced, and so I'm interested to experience it again and how it plays out. Truman really is on an island, and no one interacts with him um, that is truly his friend. It's sad, really. I remember some of the characters really wrestling with that, but you know, with one in particular who was actively trying to let Truman in that he was part of a show. I think it was like an ex-girlfriend who pops up unannounced. I remember the outside world being shown a few times with several people watching Truman Gogglebox style. I think there was even Truman merch. It's such a weird concept. I don't remember exactly the timeline of the show, but I do know know that there's a scene explaining the set and where it's located and how big it is and all of that just for one person. Throughout the movie, Truman slowly realizes that something is up and it's clear that the powers that be do not want him to notice. When Truman goes missing, the whole production grinds to a halt and a lot of crazy things happen that are attempts to keep Truman in the town while also protecting the integrity of the show. I remember a scene with people in hazmat suits, and who could forget Truman overcoming his manufactured fear of open water with Kristoff, Ed Harris's character, attempting to kill Truman to protect the show. It's super intense, and I remember the resolution being very satisfying. I remember this movie being very well constructed and entertaining throughout the entire thing. There's a lot of tension that built all the way to the final scene with Truman on the water where he realizes uh, that he's at the edge of the studio. Uh, he, He sees the biggest clue that everything is fake, a stairwell to a door on a backdrop um, that he was led to assume was the horizon of his seaside utopian town. The buildup and come down was so good. I'm excited to experience that again. I will probably mention this again, but Truman's catchphrase was definitely something I remember. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and good night.
something like that. This was such a great phrase that worked so well with Truman, with the Truman Show, uh, the one in the movie, not the movie itself. It was broadcast in multiple countries, so it worked for everyone. This was just one of the many things that I remember that were created to sell the whole illusion on both sides of the camera. The other big one that I've already mentioned was Truman's manufactured fear of the open sea, making it so that he experienced the tragedy early on in his life tied to the sea made it so that he would never really try to go out there. The ironic thing, obviously, is that he did use this route in the end to escape. Next up, I will watch the movie. I will take notes and what I see and back in a bit. I will be talking uh, in detail about the movie, so spoilers ahead. The question I will be trying to answer is, was this movie the best ever, or was it just a guilty pleasure? I will try to be as critical as possible. And we're back. I am so glad to have watched this movie again. It was definitely a blast from the past. Lots to talk about here, so let's get started. I don't want to bury the lead. This movie is still very good. It's definitely dated a bit, and I'll talk about that, but it still holds up. It's cohesive, entertaining, and it has a somewhat satisfying ending, kind of. We'll, we'll talk. Having seen this movie before, I, I wanted to track how Truman knew something was going on. Truman has been living in this reality for almost 30 years, so I knew there would be some delusions that he has uh, that he thinks are normal. Kristoff even sums it up perfectly later in the movie, saying, We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. Truman doesn't know any better. However, there is a lot that happens that is out of the ordinary that causes Truman to question. Some seem pretty innocuous, like the neighbor holding up his trash can with a big black bubble in the middle hiding a camera or the twins always stopping Truman in the same spot so the ad can be shown. Others obviously stood out more and became more and more brash and, and obvious as the movie progressed. I believe it started with a light falling from the sky, which was quickly explained away to Truman by the radio announcer talking about a plane shedding parts. But other things happened to him that caused him to question seeing his dad, the radio malfunction that tapped into the frequency that was tracking him, and of course the open elevator with the craft services behind it. Clearly, his delusions that he was living in a normal world had its limits. I will say that his questioning his world is conveniently confined to the timeline we see in the movie, but I suppose that makes sense given the almost... 30 years of the weirdness that he gets used to. They do flash back to odd occurrences that happened to Truman that may have caused some additional questioning, like the people showing up to tell him that he's on the show, uh, and, and of course one of those being uh, Lauren slash Sylvia. His realization that something is wrong escalated appropriately, so I'm not too worried about the truncated timeline. One thing that was interesting is that this this idea of a simulation theory. Uh, Truman is basically living in a fake world, although Kristoff tries to convince him in the end that it's more real than the outside one. A tremendous amount of resources are being spent on one person. 
when Truman starts questioning, he says to Marlin, don't you feel like your whole life has been building up to something? This idea of everything around us being fake will be a popular trope in movies that come after this. The Matrix actually came out the year after this and is probably the biggest movie to explore this. This movie takes it in less of a sci-fi way and wraps it up in a nice kind of comfortable bow. Everyone watches TV. The 50s aesthetic in the town is comforting because things were better back then, right? The point is, Truman was living a fake life, and I, for one, would love to see how he reacted to seeing the world outside of the bubble. I would have loved a follow-up movie where he had to learn how to live in the real world after living in a world that was created for him. Now let's talk about ethics. I think ethics is a big part of this movie, even though it doesn't entirely touch on it specifically. First, I don't think this movie gets made nowadays. The idea of taking a baby born from an unwanted pregnancy and shoving a camera in its face 24-7 for entertainment is not going to fly today. I, I get it that if the movie was set in the time period it was in, then Truman would have been born, I think, in around the 60s, and ethics meant something different back then. But does that make it right? Let's talk about Kristoff, what Kristoff had planned for Truman. The first major thing was that he, quote, unquote, killed off his dad in a way to scare him from going into the sea. He completely manufactured his relationship with Meryl, squashing his crush on Lauren by having her swept away by her dad describing, described as having a mental disorder. Eventually, he was planning on having him have kids with Meryl, which adds another level to the ethical dilemma. This movie is often brought up in media ethics classes due to its blatant disregard for them. Obviously, not, the movie's not real, but the actual ethical dilemmas that are brought up by the show is, is what's talked about. Uh, this gets ramped up even more when Kristoff is ready to kill Truman on live TV just to keep the show going. And all the actors and his fam are playing his family and friends are complicit with this just to earn a paycheck acting. Clearly, the ethics involved are muddy at best. There's a quite a bit of suspension of disbelief needed to you know, fully understand and enjoy the movie. Take out the fact that it's about a child adopted by a corporation solely for entertainment, but the sheer logistics required to pull that off would have been massive. At one point, Kristoff says that he had somewhere in the vicinity of 5,000 cameras in the dome. Back then, commercial cameras were huge and super expensive. If you wanted anything of quality, it would cost so much money. The sheer amount of actors would have been insane, too. The movie used around 300 extras, but I'm sure the actual TV show would have used a lot more. And they needed to be some of the same people because they were meant to be people living in the town. I know they showed a montage of people trying to show Truman the truth, but I would imagine there would have been a lot more. Uh, maybe they employed a strict hiring process, but that would just add to the cost of hiring all those extras. Speaking of the actors, uh, the main actors would have had a had to have had a major commitment. Merrill, obviously, would basically live with him. They, we talked a bit about the ethics of this, but with her specifically, she is being paid to be with Truman 24-7. They are meant to be a couple and do couple things. 
her life is Truman, but also her job. Marlin is also clearly there a lot. He seems to be almost on call, as he is the first person Kristoff called to find Truman when he suspected of him, him of escaping. The coordination of everything must have been intense, too. Kristoff's life was also Truman. He looked like he lived in the studio. Uh, there's a scene near the end where he was walking around with a row, in a robe holding a cup of coffee. In addition to trying to keep Truman in the dark, there are storylines that Kristoff wanted to do. He mentions a few episodes, which I kind of felt a little disturbed by. Uh, he talks about the Death at Sea episode where Truman's dad dies. He doesn't actually die, but to Truman, he does. He also mentions later to Truman uh, the episode where you lost your first teeth, which is just crazy to hear, and I'm sure it was crazy for Truman to hear. The actors are told to do certain things and guide Truman to certain conclusions. Marlin is especially manipulative. He tells Truman that he's lucky to have a desk job so he can stick around. Uh, he kills his dream of going to Fiji by saying, why would one, anyone want to leave the island? He's instrumental in getting Truman to like Merrill. He's clearly good at his manipulation because Kristoff relies on him a lot. As well as the storylines, the actors are responsible for product placement. This is clearly how a lot of this gets funded. They aren't very subtle, but I suppose this is another situation where Truman is just used to it. He does kind of call out to it a little bit, but for the most part, he just goes with it. I counted at least nine advertisements, and those were just the ones that were the blatant product placements like Chef's Pal or the beer Marlin was drinking. As far as nostalgia goes, this movie has a ton. It's definitely a time capsule with a lot of 90s goodness. First off are the TVs. All the TVs are square because this movie was filmed before 98. HDTV came out in 98, but it didn't really gain traction until many years later. Uh, Truman's car is a Ford Taurus, which, looking back now, looks pretty basic. Uh, it makes sense for his car, as he is an insurance salesman who doesn't really seem to like anything fancy. Uh, clearly, this was, was a time before cell phones were widely used, so the only communication was a landline phone, which we see Sylvia when she uses that whenever she's calling into the show. Kristoff and his employees all use these hilarious big and um, pseudo-modern earpieces that they use to talk to one another. The actors use much smaller ones that I feel would be the norm nowadays. There are no real effects to talk about, as this isn't that type of movie. The cinematography, though, was fantastic. There are a lot of shots that purposely uh, show that we are seeing what the audience sees. Button cameras with a uh, with a rim around the edge, wide shot cameras moving around to find Truman, uh, and of course the famous medicine cabinet camera shot. There are subtle camera shots and movements that are really show that he is being followed. Uh, when he goes through a spinning door, for example, after he exits, the camera keeps moving to show the person who enters behind him. The camera outside of the building across the street then starts moving around to try to find him exiting. It all makes for a really immersive experience. The beginning is shot as a documentary, which never really comes back until near the end as Kristoff is being interviewed. I suppose it's all for the show's 30th year, but it's never really explained very well. 
After those beginning scenes, they go right into Truman's life, and Kristoff doesn't show up again until almost an hour into the movie. The separation of Truman and Kristoff is so great that Jim Carrey and Ed Harris never met during filming, which was kind of cool. They met, that makes sense as they only have a brief interaction at the end, which is a lot to think about, as Kristoff was directing Truman's life for 30 years only to talk to him for about five minutes in the end. We don't know what happens after, but that's what we see. Um, that's kind of tragic, but not as tragic as what he did to Truman. There are a lot of cool shots in this movie. Uh, a few that I remember are this sunken boat uh, shot at the ferry. Uh, it really showed Truman's fear of the water. Uh, speaking of the water, the shot of Truman on the beach with a single stream of water, of rain, uh, on him was really great. Uh, but it was also one of the moments I felt Truman could have really seen as something that, you know, was not, was definitely out of the ordinary. It was a cool shot, anyway. Uh, when the cast was looking for Truman and they decide to set up for the day, and Paul Giamatti's character tells everyone to go to their first positions, that shot is super cool. Seeing people frozen, waiting for the word action was really cool. And of course, the coolest shot in this movie, I feel, is Truman walking along the wall, above the water, to the staircase. It's so surreal and minimalist. Uh, it's the first real thing that Truman notices, or experiences, and he knows that he was right. He's ready to experience the real world, and this shot makes that moment amazing. Next time, we'll be back with another movie from my past. Until then, watch more movies. This has been Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure, and I've been Jarrett. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps to get this podcast seen. Until then, next one, watch more movies.